Hello, I'm Joachim Valentin, the OYAP coordinator for the Hamilton-Wentworth District School Board. And uh, today's episode of OYAP Hamilton, I've got Jamie McMillan here. Hi, Jamie. Hello. We're going to have a conversation about ironworkers. And if you're looking for more information about any trades, uh, we hope you'll go to oyaphamilton.ca and uh, find where you can connect to find other information. But right now, we're going to get right into a conversation. Jamie, you are an iron worker and live and work in Hamilton and all over the place, but we have met through some of your work with engaging young people in considering the skilled trades. And that's my job is to help answer questions about the skilled trades. So uh, let's start there. Uh, if there's a young person, now we're, you know, probably high school is what I focus on, but it can be students in grade seven and eight are starting to think about these careers. And so if someone's in grade eight or grade nine or 10 and they're, they're interested in getting in this trade, what should they be doing in high school to start preparing them for becoming an iron worker? Okay, well, first of all, when they get to high school, they should sign up for some shop classes and they should definitely find out about the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program here in Ontario because that is going to be something that guides them through the process. Um, so taking shop classes, uh, definitely uh, getting your math, because math is very important in all skilled trades. And as you go through school, if you wanted to get into ironworking specifically, I would recommend if there's any welding programs in your school that you try and sign up for those. But any of the shop classes that you take will definitely give you the skills that you need, the practical skills and the transferable skills for whatever career in skilled trades that you would like to uh, pursue after high school. So grade eight students should be looking at taking tech, and then, and I, I would give advice to grade eights, take tech. Also, it'll help with your math. Some students say, well, I'm not very good at math. But once you can start using the math, even from simple measuring, right? So using the math in, a, in building, making, fixing something, then it, it comes to life. When you go back to math class, you can start answering that question like, well, when am I ever going to use this? Well, in about 15 minutes when you go to the other class, right? We're under COVID right now, but we expect these restrictions will lift. And especially as kids are in grade eight now, they're going to have an opportunity to take those hands-on courses uh, in high school. So, okay, so math is important. That's good to know. That doesn't mean you have to be a, like a complete brain, right? Because you're going to learn on the job as you go. So in the earlier grades, grade nine technology, most schools, if they offer an integrated technology or exploring technology course where the students are integrating those big ideas of construction and, and transportation and motive power and design and all of that kind of stuff. Grade 10 and grade 11 will break out into woodworking, construction, manufacturing. So if somebody wanted to be an iron worker, you were saying take any tech. So is it sort of like a bridge between if somebody's interested in transportation and they're taking auto shop classes, that may lead them into this trade anyway, right? Absolutely. Because they're Okay. And in manufacturing classes in high school, there'll be welding and there'll be the design and the fabrication where you're looking at how to take the pieces of something and fuse them together. Is that part of Absolutely, yes, it's part of ironworking. As an ironworker, we basically connect the structural bones of buildings together, and they go together with bolts and welds. But we need fabricators to make those pieces, so you have to know measurements and how to cut proper angles and then put it all together. So it's all something you will learn in the shop classes. And all the shop classes that have opportunities to build will teach you those skills. Awesome. Awesome. Okay, great. Okay. And then you had mentioned about OEAP. Not everybody knows what that is, of course. 
Uh, so when a student takes co-op, uh, it's great to take the tech classes and you start to learn uh, not just the theory, but some of the hands-on skills. If you can apply it in the workforce and actually do a co-op, get a job uh, where you are working with somebody who is interested in helping train you a little more, you learn the soft skills about how to be on time every time and that kind of stuff, but also to go onto the job site. Uh, you know, that, that is amazing. And I know there are students that go to a construction job site because they're interested in, say, framing. They're going to go frame a wall, but then they meet the plumber, the, the HVAC person who's installing the furnace, the gas fitter who comes to connect the, the gas for the furnace, the electricians that are there, all the other window installers and the, and the roofers and all the other trades. Like, that's sort of the just try something and get going. You, the exposure will help you discover more and find out what else is there. Okay, so then if a person's in high school, in their um, co-op, they would be an OEP uh, student if they're in an apprenticeship trade and their placement. Then they're going to, let's say, moving on, that young woman who said, yeah, I really liked my co-op in construction, and I wanted to work with metal and building larger structures like you were talking about, uh, building the skeletons of, of large structure buildings, and she wants to go start an apprenticeship. Because in order to be a journey person, iron worker, you have to do it through an apprenticeship trade. What are those steps? Okay, so those steps, as, I, as we talked about earlier, when you do co-op in school, you're already building experience and you're gaining hours towards those steps. Um, fortunately, in Ontario, because of the Ontario Youth Apprenticeship Program, the coordinators will actually help you to try and find those apprenticeships later. But an apprenticeship is basically when you find an employer that will sponsor you and take you on as their apprentice, and you would start being sent out to different job sites to learn while you're earning money, which is a huge potential, and every single day your classroom becomes that job site, and your teachers are your co-workers, and you're working with a team to build the things that you see around you, and that is how you start your apprenticeship. Um, it's not always easy to get into apprenticeships, so you have to really keep knocking on doors, make sure that you have good grades in school, that your math is up, that you've done what you need to do in those classes, like show up on time every day, and don't call in sick. Um, work as a team. You have to leave your feelings outside of the workplace, just like if you want a good grade in school, you have to leave your feelings outside of the classroom and get along with that person to get a good grade. If you can do those things and you have good references from your teachers moving forward, it'll be easier to, for you to find those employers. And when you come with your resume to apply for these positions, you'll be looked at a lot closer because you have that experience and all those perks that you need to have. Once you start the apprenticeship and you have your foot in a door, um, you will be sent out to different projects. Now, in some cases, apprenticeships, you might do it at one place, but in my position, I'm a dispatch worker, and so I'm continually sent to different jobs. So I literally go to jobs to work myself out of the job. But as your apprenticeship moves forward, you will keep going from job to job, and every 1,000 hours, you'll get a raise, which is really great. And then every 2,000 hours, you'll spend a small portion of your time in a classroom where you collect unemployment, and your employer or the government will pay for that class period that, that block. you have to do. Yeah, that Ab block. Absolutely. So you did a level one? You did level one, two, and three? I did three levels, three levels. Okay, and yeah. 6,000 hours for yeah. my apprenticeship. Okay, so um, in your situation, like what would be very typical for an apprenticeship, so you got hired as a, as a first-year apprentice, you're starting out, you go to the job site, they say, okay, go show up at this factory, 
you'll be on this team. You showed up there not knowing exactly what they're going to do that day, but there's a leader there who say, okay, you two are going over here to do that. You guys are going over here to do that. And they're checking on your work. You're doing the work. You're not standing around watching. You're yes. doing the work. But it's your job. You're getting paid, right? Absolutely. So the people you're working with are going to check on what you're doing, going to make sure you're doing it right. You're gaining experience, getting paid. At the end of the day, you go home. Where are you working tomorrow? They may have the same place or if that, like you said, you worked yourself out of a job. So after so many weeks at that place or wherever the job is done, then you are assigned to another position, right? If yes. that's the kind of job you have. So it's, it's almost like freelance iron worker, right? Yes. So were you a part of the union at that time? I began my apprenticeship through the union and immediately went on to a dispatch list as an, as a list as an apprentice. And then I continually went to different jobs until I finished my okay. 6,000 hours. And some trades work very well that way and others, it doesn't work that way, but that's, that's fine and great. So then you are picking up different experiences at different job sites, right? Yes. Yeah. It was very diverse and honestly, the best medication for my ADHD. Yeah, every day, something new, right? Every day, something new. Okay. And as your skills increased, like, were you ever, uh, did you ever have a job site where you showed up and they're like, we need you to do this? And you're like, I've never done that before. Absolutely. And that's, the thing is, is that it's always challenging because you're always learning something new. And to be honest, if you don't know and you haven't done something, don't try to fake it till you make it. Be honest. Ask a lot of questions. There is no stupid questions. So ask away. And those people are there to mentor you and support you and train you and make you the best worker that they can possibly make you. Right. And you're, you're trying to literally learn as you go along so that you can, tomorrow you'll have that skill. Absolutely. Yeah. And then you're, you grow into the position where you're able to mentor someone else eventually. Yes. Yeah, awesome. Okay, so then after so many hours, about 1,000 hours, then you went to school for a level one. I did 2,000 hours. Okay. So every 1,000 hours, I got a raise, mm -hmm. and then every 2,000 hours, I went to school for about six or seven weeks. Okay, yep, and, uh, and so some of the trades that we deal with, like truck and coach technician, automotive service technician, they're level one that we offer through OYAP accelerated uh, programs uh, this year. Um, they are eight weeks every day at the training delivery agent. Okay. And then we know that welder uh, is a 10-week level one. So it does differ by trade, right? Yes. And then, okay, awesome. And then, so after you did your level one, then you went back for 2,000 more hours, different jobs, learning more skills, did level two, 2,000 more hours. Then you did your level three training. And each of these has different courses in it and exams and tests and that kind of stuff. It's a real block of school, right? Yes. Yeah, and there's practical stuff there. Would you have done a welding ticket maybe or... Um, we, so in the mornings we would sit in and do th a lot of theory and in the afternoons we were always sent to a shop to do different things. So we learned to tie rebar and tie knots and welding was one of the things we did every Wednesday. Um, you just learn all the different aspects of the job, working with cranes, uh, working with rigging, um, and, and just learning how to do your job properly. And it helps you when you go back onto the job site because you have more knowledge as well. Excellent. Okay, great. And then at the end of all of that, you're still working, you're earning more because it keeps your salary kept increasing. Then you had to write a final exam. Was yes. that the C of Q, the Certificate of Qualification exam? Absolutely. So when I went through trade school, which was a number of years ago, the Red Seal wasn't um, as... Uh, it wasn't as big as it is now. Um, so I went through and I did the CFQ. So I'm considered a journeyman iron worker on my ticket. <laughs> However, Red Seal is another program. Um, not that it's another program. It's just a, a, a more 
let me say, more involved test. And with your Red Seal, you kind of get recognized more globally, especially across uh, Canada and the in Alberta and BC. In a lot of uh, areas, they want you to have a Red Seal over the CFQ. Okay. Okay. So um, has that been a barrier for you, though? It hasn't been. I have been very lucky um, because there was such a shortage. Well, there is such a shortage of skilled trade workers in the country that they didn't have enough people with Red Seals. And so I was still able to go out and work out west with my journeyman ticket as an iron worker. Yeah, excellent. So you're a journeyman. As a journey person with your CFQ and your years of experience, the doors are open for you already. Absolutely. Okay, excellent. Let's keep going. That's great. So then... Uh, just if you can explain a little more about your job. I have a friend, Chris is his name. He's an iron worker. And um, I think he's in the same, you've, you and he have worked together over the years. But um, I don't really know what he does at work. Okay. <laughs> right? So he had went to a shutdown here and then he was in Cambridge. Then he was at another job for a couple of weeks in Oakville. And so I, I wanted to know, like, over the years, I've seen some of the pictures and you've told some stories and presentations I've seen. It's fascinating to me. So what are, if you can explain some of the tools and machines that you use, I hope we can shoot a video also with you going through your tool belt. Like this would be useful. It doesn't work on a podcast, right? But if you had your tool belt or the trunk of your car and you say, I'm going to work on a job, these are the tools I need and this is what they're for. Because as a high school teacher, uh, I don't know of a high school classroom in Hamilton where they have the ironworker tools laid out to say, okay, we're going to go, let's go put this I-beam together, right? right? Like, we don't have the space or the resources for that. So, and it, there's no worry about that in high school. You're going to learn those skills later in the trade. But what are the tools that you use that would be specific to the trade? Okay, that's an awesome question, and I'm loving the idea of answering this. So basically, because we're iron workers and we're connecting structural steel together, um, if we're fabricating it, we're using torches. So we're cutting the steel. We're using grinders to smooth off the edges or uh, clean up any excess slag that might be on there. We're connecting it together. So then we're using welders and we've got our, our welding hoods. And then we need cranes to put that steel into place because steel is very heavy. So we're using rigging, which is straps that we have to connect to a crane to lift those pieces up and put them in place. And now iron, when it goes together, is usually put together by bolts or welds. Um, so as a structural iron worker, if you're connecting that steel together, you need some specialty tools that you have to get at a specialty shop. So we have spud wrenches and bullpins. And then what the spud wrenches look like is just an open-ended wrench on one side and a spike on the other side. And so when the steel goes together, the bolt holes need to line up. So you would use that spiky end of the spud wrench to slide through the holes and line them up, and then you would put the bolts through. Now, it doesn't always go together that easy, so that's when we have to use our bullpen. And a bullpen just looks like a big metal nail, a big heavy nail, Um, but it's thick. And what you would do is you would use that bullpen to line up those holes, and it might not go through that easy, and that's when you have to take out your, your hammer, your big... Like a sledge beater, yeah, yeah, we call okay. it a beater. So you would take out your big sledgehammer, and then you would swing and beat that bolt pin through and the And that would line the pieces line it up. up. Okay. Yes. By force, wow. By force. And then you slide those bolts through and tighten them up, and you use a gun to tighten them up to the torque that they need to be, and you disconnect the rigging, and Is it air-powered, like, a, like an air-powered gun? Some of them are air-powered. Uh, so some of them are pneumatic, and some of them are electric. Okay, awesome. And that tightens up the bolts. That tightens up the bolts. Wow, there you go. Excellent. It's like giant Lego. It is. It is. <laughs> it's like st- building with s- sticks. 
neat. Okay. We call it stick building. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Okay. And then uh, you've talked about a few of the things like welding. Obviously, you could be on the ground welding pieces, but you could be way up in the air welding. So all the infrastructure to get the power up there, the tools up there, all that kind of stuff. Okay. Are there any other skills that you've learned along the way? So many. So because my job is so diverse, I could be working in a shop, cutting and fabricating. I could be welding at the shop. I could be doing it out on the job site. I've learned to work with cranes. I've learned how to use rigging, which is a ticket all in itself. Um, And then from there, there's so many other things I've done. Sometimes in certain job sites, especially out west in the gas and oil plants, we have to build big modular sections of steel and put it all together before we put it up in place. So we'll have big units that might be 30 feet long by 12 feet wide that's already put together. And then we put them up with cranes, so we'll use big cranes. But then we also get to use like hydraulic jacks and um, trailers that are run on hydraulics. So they're called uh, uh, special, how do I say that? Um, They're, they're (laughs) I can't think of the word right now. Um, but they're run on hydraulics. They, ha- so. they have like feet that come out and hold it into place. Is that no, what you mean? No, these there's these they're cool trailers. So they're uh, they're units that I worked for a company called Mammut, and we had these um, big trailers. You see them a lot on like the Discovery Channel, and they'll have like a gazillion wheels on them. Okay. And then they will carry that piece from site to site, and they can turn like on a dime, and they can go up and down and move around. So we get to work with those. I've got to do um, cribbing and blocking. That's when you have something really heavy and you need to lift it up and maybe transfer it onto a trailer. So we're working and we're putting um, big wood blocks into block piles and lifting stuff up. I've done some incredible things. I've worked on transmission towers, climbing, painting. Uh, I've built gas and oil plants. I've worked in mines and I've worked all over Ontario building uh, steel plants, car plants, just, it's been a phenomenal journey of tons of different jobs, so diverse. And do, you ever, do you ever drive by a place and go, hey, I know what that building looked like before it had any Absolutely. cladding on it. You, you built the skeletons. that ever happened? So this is awesome because every time I go over the Burlington Bridge, I can look over at DeFasco. And I was at DeFasco and they did the blast furnace reline. So it was the number two blast furnace. And I did uh, 15 months of my apprenticeship. That's where I started. And we had to build this big elevator shaft and then connect it to the top of the stovepipe platform. So every time I go over that bridge, I can look over. And so anytime my family or friends are around, I can point it out and say, like, see that? That's where I started my apprenticeship. I built that. And then I have this really cool picture of me up on the iron. So Awesome. Awesome. That's amazing. That's great. Self-propelled modular units. That's what There you go. Self-propelled modular units. Okay, I'm going to go Google that. Okay, so um, what... Here's another funny question. What's the most interesting or what are the most interesting tasks you've done as an iron worker? Where at the end of the day, you're like, wow, that was cool. So that w- the one that I loved so much was the fact that I got to work with the power line techs and climb those towers, the, those transmission towers that you see that run through the fields that look like monkey bars ever since I was a kid. I always looked at them and I always wanted to climb them and my, my parents wouldn't let me for good reason. Um, but a couple summers ago, I got to spend the entire summer with Hydro One, and I got to climb those towers every single day, and it was like a childhood dream for me, and I got paid really good money to do it. <laughs> Excellent. Wow. Awesome. Um, now, let's let's talk a bit more about, so you've, you're an iron worker, and you've had some opportunity to take jobs in different parts of Ontario. You're talking about working in the north and other parts. So how, like, how does that work? 
there's a job posting somewhere, you're working somewhere, and you say, you know what, I'd like an adventure. I'd like to go somewhere else. How does, how does that work? So this is one of the benefits that I like about being in a union because unions are international, so they're across Canada and the United States. And because I'm part of the iron workers union, if it happens that, say, in Edmonton, they don't have enough iron workers to do a job, they'll put out calls to other locals in other areas, and they start usually within the province of Alberta, and as they need to fill the job up bigger and bigger, they'll spread to other provinces. And so that's how I've been able to work across Canada and across Ontario because they don't have enough workers in that area because of the labor shortage. And so we get called and we get to go to all these different places. And the benefit of it usually is, A, we will get sort of a bonus pay because sometimes there's more pay involved. There's travel allowance and they often provide us with board allowance. So we get extra money to travel. So, so it board makes it more Like a per diem. Yes. A board allowance is Typically, if you were to go, say there's something in near Calgary, yep. they'll pay for your flight to Calgary because they need you from out of province. So they're paying for your flight to Calgary and then transportation to wherever the job is, right? And you have to find where you're going to live? It, it depends on the job. So if you decide, so when I worked in Fort McMurray, you can either stay in the camp and they didn't pay you that per diem because everything was provided for you. They had you. a cafeteria with food for you and all everything. that kind of stuff? Everything. Okay. And then... If you decided that you wanted to live outside and you wanted to stay in the town, then they would give you a daily allowance to cover your rent and your food. Okay. And what what would you prefer? So I've tried a little bit of both, but it's, for me, being a female in the industry, there's not always a lot of women on job sites. And so I preferred not to stay at the camp. I preferred to stay in town. And uh, so I, I would choose that option. I did enjoy the camp because I liked all the free food and, um, you know, it was easy. But being out and being able to do what you want in the evening and maybe go to a restaurant or something like that was more appealing to me. Yeah, especially uh, to me, I would I think I would go that way. Try to have the adventure of find out where you are and, and explore the city that you're in or the town that you're in. Awesome. Okay. Are there, speaking of being a woman in this trade, are there any barriers for young women who may want to do may want to become an iron worker? Um, there's barriers in every single job, in my opinion, but I don't think that there's any barriers that you can't get over. If you have the resiliency, the determination, the drive, and you want to do that, then the barriers are what you place on yourself. Because at the end of the day, if you go out there and you do your job, and you do it properly, and you show that you're there for the right reasons, that will be recognized. And at the end of the day, an employer is only looking for somebody that's going to do their job and make them money. So whether you're male or female, it doesn't matter as long as you get your job done. So the barriers are the ones you put on yourself. So the skills that you have, what's on your resume, not the name on the top, but what's on your resume is, can you do this job? Yes, I can do this job. And then you get in there and do it. That's right. Jobs don't have genders. We give them genders. Right. Yeah, awesome. That's great. I've had I had a, a mom and a daughter come up to me at one of our um, one of our events, and it was an awkward question because obviously I'm a guy. I have sisters and I have daughters, but the question the mom had was, "My daughter wants to go into construction. I'm afraid that she'll be the only girl on the job site." And we did have a conversation about that. It was really good because, I mean, I was listening and I'm, I'm asking, well, what, what is the concern? Because if she has the skills and the interest in learning new things and is able to be on time every time, be there, like you say, the boss has a list of tasks that have to get done in this day. That's how we stay in business. We get this job done. 
you got the job done. See you tomorrow. Like, uh, as long as you're you're being paid for your skills, uh, then there should be no there shouldn't be a difference in salary. There should be there should be equity because of your skills and your C of Q. Yes, and that is the one thing I do love about skilled trades is that you're paid according to the percentage of your apprenticeship, not according to your gender. There are gender. Uh, job, there are jobs that they consider gender and women will get paid less than men for the exact same job. In, in skilled trades, when you do an apprenticeship, it's not that way at all. Now, I know what it's like to be the only girl on a job site. I was the only girl with 400 men. You will always have the naysayers. You will have people that, you know, they might not feel comfortable with a woman, but you have to learn to understand conscious bias and unconscious bias. And sometimes the people that are trying to take care of you, um, it's the way the way they approach you. If you understand that they're trying to help you and it's coming from a good place in in their heart, um, then that's a good thing. But sometimes uh, it's their approach and you're not sure how to understand them. And sometimes people are maybe trying to help you, but they're nervous because you're the girl on the job site. They don't know how to approach you. And the men kind of feel like they're walking on eggshells at times because you're the only woman on the job site. But honest to God, yes, you're going to have your naysayers, but you're also going to have the guys that really want to take you under the rings. And normally those guys are the older guys that are closer to retirement age. And I'll tell you, if you can become good friends with them and get them as work partners, they will teach you how to be the best tradesperson because they know the best tricks. They, are, they have all the experience. They are incredible. Yeah. I love working with the guys that I are about to retire or are coming out of retirement to come and do a job just because they miss being in the, in the workplace. They miss like that camaraderie and all that kind of stuff. So mm-hmm. they come back from time to time just with to the, oh, that's great. do a with little shutdown. passion shut down. for it. Yes. Yeah, that's great. Okay, so as an iron worker, are there other careers that it could lead to? And I'll tell you why I'm asking this. Sometimes uh, parents will see a university degree as the goal for their child or a college diploma as the goal for their child because they think, right or wrong, but they think that it will lead to something else. It will lead to their opportunity right after post-secondary, but then something else. And I think one of the biggest mountains we have to climb in talking about skilled trade and apprenticeship opportunities is that the apprenticeship pathway can lead to more. And so if a person is working in their skilled trade and, uh, you know, five years, 10 years, 15 years into it, are they stuck in their job or are there other opportunities? Oh, the sky is the limit in skilled trades. And that's one of the things that I think people need to be educated about because you can literally do an apprenticeship and once you're done and you start traveling and working from job to job site and your experience keeps growing, there's endless opportunities because you go from getting certified in your trade to working in the to- on the tools. And if you do a good job, you can get promoted from foreman to general foreman, superintendent, project manager. And in some careers, you hit a ceiling. But in skilled trades, there's no ceiling because there is no limit to how much education and how far you can take the career. I mean, some people own Fortune 500 companies and they've become millionaires and they work all over the world. And that's another advantage we have. You can work globally. There's always evolving technology and things are always changing. So you never stop learning and growing and adapting to that new technology. So really, there's no end to how far you can take the career. 
and you can take it into different avenues. So if I decided right now that maybe I want to become a civil engineer because I work in construction or a structural engineer, I could literally utilize the free training through my union hall or through some of the employers, go to school, take that program, get onto a job site as an engineer, getting my journeyman rate, and I would be reimbursed a large amount of that payment to go to college or university unless the employer paid for it because it's part of my trade improvement plan through my union. So there's so much opportunity and people just don't know where to look for it or how to find out about it. Right. Awesome. I think that um, I I hope that parents are are starting to see those opportunities and that a lot of, uh, we understand the gig economy now, it's not new, right? But a lot of what happens is uh, when students are trying to decide what they're going to do after high school, Many of them are choosing a non-apprenticeship pathway. And when they're 27, 28 years old, they're coming to the apprenticeships because that's the opportunity where the money is for them, depending on what they've chosen to study. And not to disparage university or college diplomas or degrees, of course. um, But they tend to, I mean, they, students tend to look for what is my first post-secondary pathway, my next step after high school. And uh, I think... An apprenticeship is such a safe, wonderful way to start your apprenticeship, start your training where you're earning, not building debt, you're earning, and it can open the door, like you say, to something else. Five, ten years down the road, you could be, a person could be in sales, a person could be in management, they could get into uh, teaching, uh, and not just through mentoring or taking apprenticeships, but then could end up in an instructional role in an organization. Anyway, that's great. Okay, well, this has been a great conversation. I hope we can get together again sometime and uh, cover a bunch of other topics. Uh, it's great to have you here with us, Jamie. I'm going to uh, wrap it up here and uh, say uh, to our listeners, thank you for joining the OYAP Hamilton podcast. I'm going to fire the uh, music there. And I want to, uh, again, say thanks to Jamie McMillan, ironworker here in Hamilton, for joining us on the podcast and sharing her personal experiences and goals uh, around her career in ironworking. If you want to know more, you can uh, click on the um, links in the show notes or go to oyaphamilton.ca and find out more about the opportunities in your school board around apprenticeship trades. And find another podcast. If this one was interesting to you, maybe there's another podcast we have, another uh, episode with a different trade or a different focus that will help answer your questions. Thank you, and we'll hopefully you'll join us again on another episode. <laughs>